Excuse me. Thank you, Steve, for having me. Um, I'm excited to be back. Welcome to anyone who's a first time visitor. This is my second time here. It's been a year between my visits. So hopefully yours would be a little shorter because this is an incredible place for y'all to come and worship and be a part. A little bit of background about myself. Um, as Steve said, I got, I got to speak at uh, the youth camp last year. They invited me back, so apparently I wasn't horrible. So that's a good sign for this morning for y'all as well, hopefully. Um, but a little bit about myself. I grew up in Gwinnett County, other side of Atlanta, and I went to UGA. I graduated from Brookwood High School in 2003, and um, I went to UGA after that. That was back when UGA was a whole lot easier to get into. Um, I, I got into UGA with like a 3.3 GPA, and um, now you have to have like over a 4. It's They're making my degree look better and better with age, so... Thank you to everyone who goes to UGA and makes me look better. At UGA, I got involved in the Wesley Foundation. That's where I currently work. Um, that's where I first uh, started interacting with Steve. It's campus ministry at UGA. A lot of y'all students have come through. A lot of y'all have come through as well. And I just kind of stayed in Athens. Um, I met my wife while I was at school. Um, my wife, Katie, we got married in 2007. And we have three daughters, Nora, Lily and Molly, who are six, about to be seven, five and two. And so my life's pretty full. We're in the middle of a move right now. Um, and so that's always fun if you've ever moved. Two things I can't believe happen every day in the world, and that's people having babies and people buying homes. And so if you are a realtor or an OBGYN, I, I give it up to you because those things seem like they should never happen in life. And they happen every day and people still live and society moves on. And I just kind of don't understand it. Um one interesting thing about Wesley, how we're kind of structured, is um, Wesley's basically built on a discipleship model that's kind of like Mary Kay pyramid scheme, but for Jesus, to where it's like you have Bob at the top who disciples people in my position who are directors, and then we disciple people who are interns, then interns disciple older students, older students disciple younger students. If you've been in like a Mary Kay, if, if your Facebook timeline is populated with people selling things, you're familiar with um, the pyramid scheme type of things, the way things work. And what's interesting is um, just even this very morning, um, Blake, who led worship for you, um, I've been meeting with Blake for discipleship for four or five years now. We didn't even know we were both going to be here till last night. When they sent out the order of worship and Blake texted me, was like, are you speaking at Vintage tomorrow? And I was like, are you playing at Vintage tomorrow? It's like, all right. And then so we've been meeting for the last four years and how it works at Wesley is you meet individually one week and then you meet in a group the next week. And for two of those four years, um, y'all's new hire, Logan Johnson, I also discipled. And so for two years, yeah, we can clap for Logan. We can clap for Logan. So for two years, Blake, Logan and I met every other week um, in my office. And so I was going to say thank you for inviting me to your church, but I'm actually going to welcome you to coming to our group discipleship meeting that just so happens to be at your church an hour and a half away from Athens, Georgia. Um, you know, I love working in campus ministry. I love working with that age group of people where they're not jaded by life quite yet, and um, they're still excited about their faith. And to see people who maybe have questions about their faith really come into an identity in Christ, it's an amazing opportunity. And I, I absolutely love my job. But with any job, as, as you all know, there's a lot of different kind of quirks and differences depending on what your vocation is. And 
one thing that comes along with working with campus ministry is um, I work with people who are of very different ages. What I mean is this, is I'm 33 years old. Um, like I said, I've graduated high school in 03, college in 07, have three kids. And so I'm 33, but to do my job well, I have to get into the mind of 18 to 22 year olds. And I'm not 18 to 22 anymore. And then the people who work for me are all in their mid-twenties, some in their late-twenties. And then I'm in my early-thirties. And then my wife and I, we kind of got, we didn't get married like super young, but we got married, we were kind of the first in our friend group to get married, the first to have, start having kids. And so I was at a, um, a party for some of our kids yesterday. And so, you know, it's not uncommon for me to be hanging out with some of my kids' friends' parents, and they'll be 15 years older than me. So I have to be in the mind of 18-year-olds, I have to lead mid-twenties, I'm in my early thirties, I hang out with people in their forties, and then I have my parents who are kind of in that late fifties, sixties range, you know, kind of like retirement, about in that age. So I'm kind of like along the whole spectrum of ages. And so sometimes it's a little difficult for me because I'm sitting around talking to these people yesterday at this party, and they're talking about all these things that I had no idea. They're talking about like road grading and like what soil you need to grow these proper things. And I'm like, well, can I tell you about what's going on on Twitter right now? Can I tell you what's hopping on Instagram? Because my mind is in this 18 to 22 range. So sometimes I get in that like 40, 45 range. And I'm like, man, I, I don't know how to connect. I'm like, I'll show up to my kids, you know, like Father's Day and they're all in suits and ties and this is me dressing up. And for an 18, like for the 18 year olds I work with, I'm like, I'm wearing a collared shirt. That's like Sunday's best. And they look at me and they're like, oh, wow, what are you, 12 years old? You know, so it's kind of this weird working in campus ministry is this weird kind of like ageless time. And it's interesting because as someone who gets to speak um, to college students, but also speak to people of various generations, what I found is um, the one tie that can really bind the one thing that can kind of cut across every generation is a good story. That whether you're eight years old or 80 years old, if you tell a good story, people are going to listen to you. For instance, yesterday morning, I just was at the beach all week last week um, with my family. So we got back Friday. So this is the first breakfast after the beach. And so my wife um, decided that she was going to sleep in that day. And so I agreed with her that that sounded like a good idea. Um, so I got up with the kids and I was preparing breakfast yesterday morning and I was kind of all tired. You know, every morning we were like, up. Uh, my kids wake up super early. And so we were up like getting seashells, doing all this stuff really early in the morning. So tired. And so um, I have two kids with food allergies. And so we have to make all of our food. Um, you know, we can't just throw some Eggo waffles into uh, the toaster oven. So I'm making them some pancakes and they start eating and they get these really weird looks on their face. And, and I'm like, what, what's going on? Y'all usually love pancakes. And I even gave you syrup this morning because mom's sleeping. And so I can give you syrup and, um, but specific syrup that doesn't have dairy, nut, egg or soy. Um, but I'm going to give this to you. And they're like, this, this is weird. And then I'm, I'm thinking back and I'm looking and my middle child is my most rebellious. Um, but, uh, but that means she's fun as well. And so she goes, daddy, these pancakes taste like tacos. I was like, what are you talking about? These pancakes? I was like, first, of course, I didn't blame myself. I blame my wife. I was like, oh, Katie didn't clean the, you know, the pan very well from the last time we had tacos. And then, 
And then I'm like, surely they're just being dramatic because my kids can be dramatic from time to time. And then I put this pancake in my mouth and I taste it. And I was like, this pancake tastes like a taco. And I was like, you see, what had happened was, is I was so tired. And because of the food allergies, we have to make different spice mixes that I grabbed the brown spice that I thought was cinnamon to sprinkle in my pancakes. But I grabbed the Lily Safe taco seasoning. And so I made this, I was probably the first person ever that's made this like taco pancake. And in case, if you're into like fusion type of cooking where it's like, it's Asian South American cuisine. Okay, Mexican pancake with taco seasoning in it is not a fan favorite. I would tell you to avoid it. But here's the interesting thing about that story is this. Is being someone who likes to tell stories. You know, I grab my phone and I pull up Instagram and I did an Insta story about it. Which if you're older, that's just little 15 second clips Um, That's when your kids are looking at their phone. That's what they're doing, Um, where you just share little clips of your life. And what's interesting is from freshmen who I get to teach to my mother-in-law, who's in her mid-70s, both saw that story and had a reaction to it because it cut across generational lines, right? A good story can cut across generational lines. And I, I tell you this because... As we go into today's teaching, what I really want to talk to you about is, you know, when you go and teach somewhere, they're like, well, what Bible verse are you going to teach from? Um, and that's great. That's how I normally teach. Here's the one piece of scripture that we're really going to meditate upon. Sometimes we chop up the Bible into so many small pieces that we miss the bigger story. Right. Sometimes we isolate certain things, which is totally necessary and has a point that we miss the greater arc of what God is trying to say to his people through the scripture. And so I tell you that story to set up this morning of where I really want to go. And I asked Steve what I should talk about. And he said, hey, you can talk about whatever we've been talking about the Holy Spirit a lot lately. And so I said, well, let me jump on board with that. But instead of saying, hey, here's necessarily a specific Scripture that I really want to entail. What I want to do is I want to follow the story of the Holy Spirit, starting in the Gospels and kind of really quickly through then. And then what we see in the book of Acts and see what we could learn from that. See what we could walk away here, knowing, understanding and applying to our lives. Because I understand that um, people here in this room probably have various different spiritual backgrounds. We probably have people who have been walking with the Lord since, you know, right when you were born, you like, you like walked down the aisle. You couldn't even walk. Your mom carried you down the aisle. You gave your life to Jesus in 1947 and you've never doubted a single day. And there's probably some people in here. You're like, you know what? When it comes to faith, I have some questions. You know, there, there's all this whole game, this whole spectrum of probably spiritual experiences. And Today, I want you all to just listen with fresh eyes, with fresh ears, what the scripture says about the Holy Spirit. So now those of you who come from a very church tradition, those of you who grew up going to Sunday school, I'm going to ask you a Sunday school question. I don't really want you to answer it out loud. You can just kind of think in your head. But here's a Sunday school question for you. Why did Jesus come? Why did you know we're here today to celebrate Jesus? Why did he come? That's a pretty important question. It's a pretty important question that you should probably have an answer to. And the truth is this is scripture indicates that Jesus came for a number of reasons. 
right? You could go the first John route that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. You can go um, the Hebrews one route that he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature to where you look at Jesus and then you get an understanding, a picture of who God is. You know, you can go the forgive us of our sins route. There's a lot of different reasons that he came. But there was one man who God raised up as the forerunner to Jesus, as like the original hype man, as the guy who was going to say, hey, I'm going to prepare the way. I'm going to get everyone ready for the message that Jesus has to bring. And that was John the Baptist. And when you look at what John the Baptist is, the reason that Jesus came, this is what he says in Mark chapter one, verse eight. It says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It says, I baptized you with water. And what that means is I showed you your need for repentance. That's my message. But this man who's coming, who he says, whose sandals, he's unworthy to tie. This man who's better than me, that goes beyond me. His primary means for coming is that he is going to baptize you. That's the original word, baptizo, which means to dunk, to immerse, to go all the way in with the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting is that same phrase is repeated along all four Gospels, this message of John the Baptist. And that is, if you know anything about the Bible and setting the Bible, that is incredibly rare to have something repeated in all four Gospels, which is a way of saying, hey, this is really, really important. And so the truth is this, is that if you are someone who wants to be serious about Jesus, if you are someone who wants to be serious about God, then you have no choice but to be serious about the Holy Spirit. And here's the truth is Scripture, actually, Jesus himself gives us a lot of indications on what the Holy Spirit's like, because he goes through in the Gospels and Jesus is healing people. He's saving people. He's doing some teachings on how to live. And then he goes through in the night before he's about to go to the cross, the night before he's about to be betrayed and, and suffer what we celebrate on Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. He has a little time with his disciples that we kind of get a snapshot of in John 14 through 16. It's think about this. If you had the night before you're about to go die, what are you going to talk about? You're going to talk about the things that are most important to you with the people who are most important to you. And that's exactly what Jesus did. And he gives us some basic understandings about the Holy Spirit. Things like this, John 14, 26, where he says, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said to you, that the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to guide you into knowledge and understanding about God. If you've ever been in a situation and you're like, oh, remember in scripture when it says this, or remember when Steve said this in the sermon, know what that is? That's the Holy Spirit inside of you bringing back into remembrance the things of God. See, he's, he's active. He's, he's moving inside of you. Even if you didn't attribute that to the Holy Spirit, that's his work in you. He also says, John 16, 8, he will convict the world concerning sin. Your very need, like that knowledge that you need a savior, that you needed rescuing, that that came from the Holy Spirit stirring up something inside of you. John sixteen thirteen, he says he will guide you into all truth. If you've ever had questions, those of you who maybe today still have questions, that one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is he's going to guide you into truth. He is your trail guide. He is your helper. And see, all these things are great. And all these things help us become more like Jesus. 
which is so important because discipleship, the, the art of following the way of Jesus, of emulating his life is so important. One of the primary calls we have as believers in Jesus is to become more like him, is to be convicted of our sin, is to be taught about the ways of Jesus, is to guide us in the truth, to guide the steps in our path. But here's the truth about all these things is they're inward. <clears throat> they're things that have to do with us. And that's important, no doubt. But that's not the whole story. See, the truth is this. is The sad part about a lot of Christianity, especially in America, is it's become solely an inward act. And even as you begin to understand and know the Holy Spirit, it's very easy to keep the activity of the Holy Spirit as something that is an inward act. You see, but there is a next step that God has called to every single one of his followers. And that's first, of course, allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you. But then there is that next step that we must take, and that is allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you. Allowing the Holy Spirit to take the things that are stirring up inside of you, to take that fire of God that he's stirring up inside of you and allowing that to spill onto those people around us. We can't stop with our own inward transformation. That is not the way of Jesus. That is part of it, but that is just part of the equation. You see, because the story continues beyond Jesus's death and resurrection. You see, you read in Acts chapter one, verse four through eight. So this is Jesus had taught them about the Holy Spirit. He had died. Three days later, he rose again. He'd been hanging out with his disciples for 40 days, teaching them about the things of the kingdom, proving to people that he really did rise from the dead. And before he's about to go back up and ascend into heaven at this part of the story, this is what Jesus says. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, Jesus is casting a vision for what life beyond him being on planet earth is going to look like. And the disciples are all concerned with their nation state of Israel being reestablished. And they're like, God, we thought the whole reason that you came, their dream was to have their country back. But God reordered their vision. He said, no, I'm doing something so much bigger than just bringing your nation back. I'm doing something where the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You are going to be filled with power. You are going to be immersed in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go from God among you to God inside of you, empowering you. And then you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to be the one who testifies who I am. 
When you're in a court case and you need to know what happens, what happens? They call up a witness and they say, tell us the story. Tell us what happened. Tell us what went down. We need to know what the truth was because we weren't there. And what Jesus is saying is the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. And yes, that inward stuff that I talked about is going to happen inside of you. But then you are going to be my witnesses to say what God has done in you to other people, to live in such a way that they see my activity in your life. And they say, oh, my gosh, look what is happening. They are testifying to something that's real, to something that's true. And it's going to happen here in Jerusalem. But it's so much bigger than just my local context. It's going to be in Judea, which was a little farther out. And then in Samaria, which would have been like to the ends of the world. Saying, John baptized you with water, but I have come so that you may be immersed, completely filled, completely drenched in the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, is that's exactly what happens in the story. Because you go into Acts chapter 2. So he said, not many days from now you'll experience the Holy Spirit will be poured out on you. And so they stay and they're they're praying together. They're worshiping together. They're they're being in community with one another. Then Acts chapter two comes along. And Peter is standing there and then all of a sudden they're in this room and it says like tongues like flames of fire come and descend on each one. They start speaking in different languages and it was actually at a time of a feast in Jerusalem where people from all over the world were gathered to Jerusalem and they were hearing the works of God. They were being witnessed to in their own native language in a way that they could understand this incredible miracle and everyone's confused. Some people are saying, hey, they're drunk and then the disciples are like, no, it's way too early in the morning to be drinking. Maybe that's for later. You know, like it's it's not for right now. And, and so they sit there and they're talking about all these amazing things that God has done. And people are like, what is going on? And Peter stands up and he gives this just basically this gospel presentation of, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is what's accomplished. This is what is happening right now. And if you would repent, if you would believe in Jesus, you then can now experience what I'm experiencing, what we are experiencing. You can be a part of what's going on right now. And so a lot of people are like, hey, sign me up. Hey, sign me up. It says 2,000 people were added to their number that day. And I'm just, I'm a numbers nerd and I'm a history nerd. And so I would, you know, back then the world population was smaller. The equivalent to today's, you know, if 2,000 people as a ratio of the world population, that would be the equivalent today of 70,000 people giving their lives to the Lord in one day. You know, this is like major news. This would like probably be in the papers. This would be an internet story. It would be trending on Twitter. This would be a big, big story. And what's interesting in Acts chapter 2 is people, it seems, at least recorded in the scripture, people have one of two responses. They either embrace the move of the Holy Spirit or they mock the move of the Holy Spirit. But you had people who said, yes, sign me up for this. And then you had people say, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. I think that's an interesting part of the story. So what I want to say to you is this, is I think the story, if you look at it, the same way that God used Peter, the same way that he empowered, empowered Peter that day to stand up and to witness to those people and to see a movement of God is the same way he wants to use every single one of us. And we're not in Jerusalem. It's not like middle first century. 
But wherever you are, I think God wants to stir up and empower you by the same power that lets you become more like Jesus to start going and advancing the kingdom like Jesus did. That the Holy Spirit wants to stir up inside of you and begin to move in you, but then also to move through you. One way I try to say it is this, is once you're saved, you're sent. Once you're saved, you're sent. Once you become a follower of Jesus, once you become somebody who begins to say, this is my Lord, this is my Savior, then you are now a sent one. You are now a witness. And you see, when you say things like that, when you talk about the inward truths of God, everyone can kind of get on board. You're like, okay, so I need to go away into a room and read my Bible and pray and worship. Okay, I can do that because that that just has to deal with me. But when you start talking about being sent, when you start talking about being used by God in other people's lives, that's when the excuses start to come up really, really fast. You're like, well, hold on, Daniel. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. That's hold on. That's your he. That's not me. You don't know what I struggle with. Yeah, well, I don't. But, hey, Thomas struggled with doubt. And Jesus said, hey, you can be a disciple. It's like, hey, but you don't but you don't know what I've done. You don't know my past. I have divorces. I have I have infidelities. I have struggles. I have addictions. Well, I know this, that that Paul was literally a murderer. The man who wrote much of the New Testament literally killed people for following Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, that's the you know what? That's who I'm going to pick. You can say, but hold on, I don't have a stage. I'm just an accountant. I'm retired. My, my years are behind me. Or I'm just, I'm just a teacher. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. You look at who the first martyr for the faith was with Stephen, whose job at the church was he got appointed to, for the daily food distribution, an administrative task. It'd be like the first martyr was essentially an administrative assistant. See, it's not for specific people with specific roles and specific callings. It's not for people who have lived perfect lives. It's not for people who have it all together or have all their questions answered. It's for people who say, I want to follow Jesus. Because if you follow Jesus, then you follow him inwardly to where your life is transformed, but then you follow him out into the world as one sent with the good news of the gospel. Because the truth is this, I think the main reason why a lot of us in the church are really okay with kind of some of these inward truths about the Holy Spirit, but when we start getting into maybe some of the outward ways and maybe which God wants to empower us, we get a little nervous is because when we start involving other people, it starts costing us something. It starts costing us something like, well, what, what, are, what are they going to think? What? I, I'm a busy person. This is going to cost. This is going to be some time. This is this is going to affect some of my resources. This may affect me financially. When God starts speaking to you and say, "Hey, what if you spent your life doing this?" Or, "Hey, what if you did family this way?" Or, "Hey, what if you became a neighbor who did this in your community?" Like, but I don't know. I, I've worked hard to kind of develop my own little kingdom that's 
that's fun and safe and secure and I get to use my time how I want and I get to use my money how I want. And I, you know, I give to the church some and I gave you that, God. Why, why are you asking for the rest of my life? I think that's why we kind of struggle with this a little bit. And then I think one of the biggest lies we believe, especially as a 21st century church in America, is that when things get hard, it's obviously that God has not called us to something. Because as the story continues, on one hand it gets better, but on another hand it gets worse. Because if you study the book of Acts, a lot of times what you focus on and what you think about are things like, oh, all these people being saved, all these people being healed, this amazing activity of God, things which we want to see happen. I know I want to see happen in Athens, Georgia, the movement of the kingdom of God. But we have to read the whole story. See, the story goes on beyond Acts 2. You know, in Acts 4 and 5, the apostles are mistreated. They're in prison. They're flogged, which means there was a whip with glass shards at the end. And they're whipped multiple times. You know what? If, if that was me, you know what I would have done? Okay, obviously, I missed the picture here. I'm getting, I'm getting flogged. I'm getting imprisoned. Obviously, God is not in this. Because why would he call me to something? Why would he send me to something that's this difficult? But that was not the heart of the disciples. They actually said in that time that they counted it. They, they rejoiced because they were deemed worthy to suffer unjustly for his name. So that would have been an easy excuse to say, no, what? God's not in this. I'm not really sent. Did, hold on. Did, did we hear Jesus correctly before he went up about the Holy Spirit making us be witnesses in all these places? Because, because something's not adding up here because why is this difficult then? You see, the story goes on in Acts chapter 6 where there is, we, we, it may not be easy for us to read now without a historical context, but in Acts chapter 6, basically what it's saying is that there was overt racism within the body of Christ. Because there were two types of Jewish people. There were the Jews who were Jews mainly from Middle Eastern Palestine, what we would think about. But there were the Hellenistic Jews, and those were Greek Jews. They were either from Greece or they were Greek in their culture. And the, what they did in that time is they daily collected the food and they distributed it amongst everyone, especially the people who were the widows and the children who didn't have anyone to provide for them. And so literally what was happening is a guy would go and say, oh, you're a Hebrew Jew. Here's your portion. Oh, you're a Hellenistic Jew. Here's half a portion. Here's a foot. And literally based upon someone's culture, their skin color, their and, and their accent, they were giving people half portions or partial portions of food. There was this overt racism within the church. If that happened at a church here, you'd be like, oh, my gosh, disband that church. That is so against the heart of God. And that's true. But yet the Hellenists don't leave. They bring their issue to the apostles and they anoint people like Stephen to become daily distributors of the bread. You see, it would have been really easy for them to come up with another excuse because things got difficult and said, hold on, we're having to now deal with these issues of race, of class, of society, of we're starting to have to deal with these things. I thought I thought we were just signing up to follow Jesus. Now we have to deal and interact with other people. This is too difficult. Obviously, God is not in this. But no, they continue. Then you have Acts chapter 7 where Stephen, as we talked about, gets murdered. An administrative assistant in charge of the daily food distribution. 
and he gets murdered, it would have been easy to say, hold on. OK, I get it, Jesus. Now you've you've um, you know, things have been difficult and there's this racism. I'm a little discombined. I'm a little disillusioned here. But now someone's getting murdered. But the church persists on. You see, it actually says that the persecution got to such a, a bad state that they disembarked and went all over. They, they left Jerusalem out of fear for their life. And it re- would have been really easy for them again for them to say, well, Jesus, hold on. I, I know we're supposed to be your witnesses, but I'm scared and I made a mistake and I ran in fear. And obviously that's not OK. So you probably don't want to use me anymore. They could have come up with another excuse. But instead, they just start sharing the gospel wherever they're planted. And so Philip's on this road and there's this guy from Ethiopia. And he says, hey, you're reading the scriptures. Do you know who this is talking about? It's talking about this guy named Jesus and this Ethiopian guy in these royal court. That's a very influential person probably in his kingdom gets saved, goes back to Ethiopia. We don't know what happens, but I'm imagining some pretty awesome things happen there. Could have been another opportunity for an excuse. But they said, no, I'm, I'm going to keep going. I am going to live sent because of what God has accomplished. There was infighting in the church. We read about one story where where Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are off and they're ministering to all these churches and they're planning these churches and they're encouraging them. And at one point, John Mark gets scared and he leaves. And so then they say, hey, let's go back and visit all these other churches again. And and John Mark's like, hey, I want to go. And Paul says, no, you chickened out. You're not coming. And then Barnabas is like, come on, chill out, Paul. Like, he's coming with us. And it says such a sharp disagreement arose within them that they just took two journeys. That Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark and they just went different ways. Or we read about in Galatians that one time Paul got to the place with Peter where he, he rebuked him in public. The head of the church, the guy who spoke in Acts 2 that was getting scared and getting nervous Um, Because all these Gentiles, these non-Jews were coming into the faith and he didn't like the way that made him feel. And he didn't like the way that looked to Jewish people. So he was treating them differently. And so Paul just goes up and calls him out. There was infighting. There was issues. There was tension. But the question never became when there was issues. Are we doing the right thing? Should we stop doing what God has called us to do? Are we really supposed to be witnesses? Their mindset seemed to be, we're just going to continue. We're going to deal with the problems and we are going to continue because we have been sent because the Holy Spirit has done a work inside of us and is continuing to work out Christ likeness, sanctification, this this work inside of us. And we are going to go proclaim that among the nations. You see, it could have stopped. There would have been many excuses to stop. The circumstances were never in their favor. But they persisted. So if you look at the story of the Holy Spirit through the scriptures, what you see is this. You see the man raised up before Jesus to say, hey, he's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then you have Jesus coming in and saying, hey, this is what the Holy Spirit is going to do inside of you. And he is going to fill you and empower you to go live a different way. To go and be sent as a witness to all these different areas. And then you see a church, no matter what circumstance, no matter what difficulty, 
no matter what they encountered, continue to preach that message and allow the Holy Spirit to empower them to go and be witnesses. It was a message that was branded on their souls. They were sent. Now, I want to be clear what I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you all of y'all need to move to a different location, even though some of you may. I'm not telling you all you need to, all you need to quit your jobs. Some of you may need to. I'm not saying what this specifically needs to look like. I'm not even saying that you're going to get some stage like I'm standing on now to proclaim publicly the truth about God. But what I'm saying is this. This is what I do know you have. I know you have neighbors. And I know you have classmates. And I know you have coworkers. And I know you have family members. And even if your geographical location never changes for the rest of your life, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are sent to those people. That living sent is a lens through which we view the world. One of the prayers that I pray for myself more often than anything else is, Lord, would you give me your eyes to see people the way that you see people? To not see them as projects, to not see them as, as somebody who we need to check off on an attendance sheet, but as someone who is in desperate need of you. But all too often, instead, I ignore the prompts of the Holy Spirit that says, hey, go talk to that person. Hey, go befriend that person. Hey, go minister to that person in such a way. And instead, I just say, Lord, come and move inside of me. Lord, come and move internally, which is awesome. But that's not the only part of the equation. That's not the only thing the Holy Spirit wants to do. So I, th- I think of when I think about this, think about this student who came. So part of my role at Wesley is uh, I lead our Monday night services for freshmen. Um, and so how that works is we do a little worship. We do um, short message and then they break out into small groups. And we had this kid show up about midway through first semester and he came in kind of late. And one of our interns was standing out in our little hallway that leads into our chapel. And um, he was like, hey, what, do you need help finding a seat? What's going on? And he said, he goes, yeah, I, I don't know really what I'm doing here. I'm just kind of here. I was like, all right, well, come on in. Have a seat. This is a small group. This is, and so gets him plugged in. The guy's a freshman. Come to find out he's at UGA on an ROTC scholarship. Um, he's a first-generation first immigrant. His family um, is Hindu and um, not a Christian, probably a cultural Hindu more than anything. And um, he's just doing his thing. He showed up one night. It's like, all right, that's that's great. Over the course of a few months, though his small group leaders just really took him under his wing, invested in him, prayed for him, lived their geographic location never changed, but lived in such a way to witness to him through word and through deed that the kingdom of God was real, that the kingdom that they were living in was different than just this physical representation that we live in every day, that that was their truest reality. And over the course of the year, this guy is now a follower of Jesus, and he's in the he's a part of the family of God, and he's actually going to be one of our freshly prayer leaders next year who's going to 
You know, that's a group of people we have that cover our services in intercession beforehand. And, and why did that happen? You know, his, his people in his small group may not have had this language, but it was they allowed God to do something inside of them that was then able to spill out over onto other people. And when God gave them an opportunity, when God gave them an outlet, they took it and they seized it. They took it and they seized it. See, I have a really interesting kind of role um, when I get invited to preach somewhere. It's, it's great because I just get to come and talk and then, then, you know, people like Steve and Scott get to, get to deal with any messes I make. You know, it's like you get to fly in and fly out, you know, um, fly in or an hour and a half drive down 285 and 85. Um, but it's really a unique experience because I don't really know much about y'all. I know very few of you. And so I just get to get in front of God and pray and be like, Lord, what, what do you want to say to these people? What is on your heart to speak? Especially when Steve's like, hey, you talk about whatever. I'm like, great. God, what do you want to talk about? Um, and so it's this really unique experience where I really get to ask God's heart for y'all and for you as a church. And I was praying for you in preparation for this message. And I was like, Lord, is there any... I knew kind of this was the direction I wanted to go. I was like, Lord, is there anything you want me to specifically say to Vintage? Is there any word that you would have to Vintage in this season? And this is what I believe what God said to Vintage. He said, what are you currently doing that scares you? Where are you currently following me that takes you to the end of your resources so that I may be all? What, what, how are you following Jesus that scares you? To where if you said, if Jesus weren't involved, this thing is going to fail epically. What relationships do you have where you're trying to be a light to where if God wasn't real, the whole thing would be a sham? Where are you taking those steps and those risks and those steps of faith to say, I don't know where the money is going to come from. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how we're going to be able to pull this off. But I know God's calling us to this. But I know this is where he's leading us. I even specifically, I know that within um, this church, there's an incredible heart and ministry um, to people in foster care. And I, I specifically felt, and this isn't a shame thing, this isn't a begrudging thing, but I, I specifically even felt like the Lord was saying, hey, it's time for some of you all to take that next step to go from providing meals to providing homes. But, my fa- but I have kids. But how is that going to work with my family? How is that going to work with my finances? How's it, God, I don't know how it's going to work. If we wait for the circumstances to line up to follow God, no one would ever follow God. That is why he is here to offer an alternative path. So the truth is this, is that when God comes and we say, Lord, I'm going to, I'm going to call you Lord. I'm going to let you be Lord of my life. And that means we're giving him all of us. Every single part. So my hope to today, I say tonight, I'm used to speaking tonight. My hope this morning is really simple. Is that in your heart you would say yes to the deep things that the Holy Spirit 
wants to do inside of you. But that you would also say yes to the strategic and the important and the scary things that God wants to do through you. So we're about to go into ministry time and Blake, you can go ahead and come on up and um, you know, the way that y'all do ministry time here, I love. And then there's people here at the front for prayer. There's baskets here in the front and in the back and a kiosk out if you want to do it digitally to, to give to this church. There's communion to take where you can remember the sacrifice that Jesus made to make all of this possible. Going into ministry time, there's a specific quote that um, really came to mind. And it's from a guy named Kevin Queen. He's a pastor in Nashville. He came through Wesley um, about Steve's age and Scott's age. And uh, he said this. He said, give God a thimble, he'll fill it. Give God a bucket, he'll fill it too. The limit is not the source, but the space we give him to move. So as we go into ministry time, that's the simple question I want to ask. How much space are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move through you? How much space are you allowing him to say, yes, God, come and scare me with what you're calling me to. Come and send me to those people. I'll do whatever you want. The circumstances may not be perfect, but I'm following you. Let me pray. Jesus, I pray and I ask right now that you would fill everyone in this room with a boldness to say yes to you. To whatever your heart and your passion is for them and their family in this season. That you would give them a picture of what it looks like to follow you and the ways through which you want the Holy Spirit to move through them. And I pray, Lord, we would stop for circumstances to line up perfectly and we would just start doing what you've called us to do, knowing that we are empowered by you.